In decades past, you opened a business, hung out your shingle, and the customers came. Today, hanging out your shingle means creating an engaging website. The modern consumer is using the internet to find businesses like yours. Are you positioned so you'll rise to the top of their search? Let the Radio Vermont Group Digital Services work with you to make sure you're visible online and to target your marketing to location, demographic, and interest. Learn more at rvgdigital.com. Good morning and welcome back. This is Vermont Viewpoint, WDEV here in Waterbury, Vermont. I am your host, Brad Furlan. I'm your Monday host. We get to start the week together and we can commiserate about the aches and pains of weekend work and all the stuff getting ready for winter. And I think it's coming. I uh, hiked Elmore on Saturday night and the temperatures were dropping when I was up there. And uh, they had snow uh, Sunday morning. They woke up to snow. So it's uh, it's around the corner. We are uh, going to talk now with uh, Colonel Brian Lapine. He's vice commander of the 158th Fighter Wing of the Vermont Air National Guard. I want to welcome you to the show, Brian. Thanks, Brad. Thanks for having us on today. It's an honor and a privilege to be on your program. Well, it's great to have you here. And just for our listeners, uh, can you, there are really two parts of the Vermont Guard and, and you're one part and then, and then there's the Army side. Can you, can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So we have about 1100, uh, members within the Vermont Air National Guard. Our primary mission is flying the F-35. We've had that for a couple of years now. Um, but in, ingrained in there. So we're in South Burlington area um, and then the army who is uh, mostly infantry they'll have about another 3000 soldiers so for about 4000 total for the state uh, differences on the mission there yeah uh, big employer that's for sure uh, yeah like you said we're about 1100 uh that we employ um and we bring in about you know our economic impact we we estimate to be about 80 million uh, so we're proud of that um yeah, we're proud of local folks as well as uh, we get a um, – we're starting to see a little more and more um, traveling to uh, be with the organization, which we're pretty proud of as well. So let's go back in time, Colonel, if you don't mind. Uh, your roots are – are you from Alaska originally? I know that you, you did Alaska Air National Guard, but is is that where you were originally from? No, although I love my time in Alaska – uh, reminded me of Vermont quite a bit. I actually grew up in the Northeast Kingdom, small town called Canaan, Vermont. Um, that's where I grew up and entered the active duty military uh, there at the at the age of 19 years. But yeah, I spent my whole life in Vermont, up in the Northeast Kingdom. Okay, well that that's a little different from from parts of Alaska, but maybe the same cold in the Northeast Kingdom. And as a kid, were you able to like cross the border freely? Uh, or how was that? Actually, uh, I could see. Uh, so my dad and my mother were both employed with the, uh, the Ethan Allen Furniture Factory up there. And uh, my house actually literally could see the border from the house. So, yeah, we frequented a lot. Um, it was a lot more open border back then. And we'd go back and spend some time up in the Canadian economy and apples and cheese and puts in and all that stuff. So, yeah, we, we went back and forth quite a bit. Yeah, for sure. And Ethan Allen Furniture really was the uh, uh, 
large employer of the area and I got to tour it several years back and I was amazed at the, the high quality of production out of there and everything they did. So that that's quite amazing to your parents as well. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, I think they had 600, 650 at the height of their employment uh, in the 80s. And yeah, really, unfortunately, uh, impacted that economy up up there in the, in the Northeast Kingdom. We were sad to see that plant close, uh, you know, years and years ago. So uh, the apple fell a little bit far from the tree. You decided to seek uh, a, a military career. What were your inspirations for that? Uh, to be honest, you know, and I'll tell everybody that enlists in the in the Air Force or any branch of the military, and then again when they reenlist, is we all join for different reasons. So mine was, I was in, a, I, I realized I I went to Linden State for a little while and realized college wasn't my track at that point. Uh, although I finished my degree later, um, and and I wanted something different, and the military offered that opportunity for me to to uh, leave the Northeast Kingdom for a little while and go out and see, but. You know, as I tell people, so everybody joins it for different reasons, right? For educational benefits, to, you know, see new things. But um, we always say we always stay for the same reason, and that's for the men and women we serve with to the left and the right. So that's what's kept me in over the years. But that's the that's the reason I, I sought to uh, leave the Northeast Kingdom as much as I loved it. Yeah, and so your uh, main uh career in in the uh, air guard is what what your expertise falls into what well I, i'd be hard to say that i have an expertise brad um, <laughs> i've changed career field many many times um so i started my career as an enlisted um ground radio so i did ground radio communications and on the active duty Came back to the state of Vermont um, and actually got a commission through the Army, um, and I became um, a, a maintenance officer in the Army. Did that for about seven, eight years, and then came back over, got back into communications for the VTANG, and then went back into maintenance for the VTANG. Um, so I would say in the logistics area um, and the mission support would be the, the area in which I know the most, I guess. And I also want to thank you for your service. I know that you did um, serve overseas as well, and uh, that obviously was um, the Operation Iraqi Freedom. You were a platoon leader, uh, so that you know added to your uh, what we call our, our life and growth experience. I guess uh, what what about that for you? Yeah, that was uh, the first time. So really as a leader, uh, I was tasked to take care of soldiers. And, you know, the Army at a younger age uh, puts that responsibility on there or a younger development time in there, not necessarily associated with age, um, that leadership um, on their junior officers. So uh, I was blessed to have a squad or a platoon, about 30 folks. And um, I think... From there, as an officer coming from enlisted to officer, it was at that point that I really um, understood the fundamentals of what I wanted to do as an officer and how I wanted to lead. And that was really just to, to take care of airmen, take care of soldiers, understand what their issues and concerns are, and, and really make sure that they have the resources they need to uh, 
succeed. So I loved my time in the Army. Absolutely did. I have more time in the Air Force than in the Army. But really, as an officer, making that transition, uh, I believe it helped me grow and develop as a leader. So. And then in 2007, you did join the Vermont Air National Guard, and uh, you worked with anti-terrorism. Uh, obviously, 9-11 had occurred, and you really probably were in the in the middle of uh, high tension work at that time. Is that right? Or yeah, that's true. Um, you know, I was doing a little bit of the same work on the army side, and then came back over and was able to find an opportunity back in the in the air guard. Um, but it was at that time where you know really started developing relationships, and you saw a lot of the the um, collaboration and the and the growth within even just the state. Um, from that position, you know, the Vermont Fusion Center uh, would o- has only been established for a couple of years, and we were able to really work with them, integrate with them. An individual by the name of Ron DiVincenzi really brought me in back then, worked with the FBI, the DEA, and all those um, partners within this region. So uh, it was really good uh, to be able to uh, be involved in our country and, and our state at that time uh, to make sure we were all secure and safe. So proud of that work as well. Well, you, you, you're exampling the number of hats you've worn, Colonel, <laughs> for sure. Uh, and what about role models for you? I, I talked to the mayor of Burlington earlier and developmentally, were there people of significance that helped you on your journey to where you are today? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I have a, a strong list of um, senior leaders, I guess, that are out there. Um, yeah, so it, there's been several throughout the career. I mean, the, Colonel Finnegan has done a great job as a mentor. Um, all, all my wing commanders have done really well. And then, you know, I, I do have a, you know, I don't, you know, command, uh, chief right now, uh, chief, uh, Adrian Schultz. Um, she's been with me for about, we've been fortunate to be together for about 10 years now. And I've, you know, as a mentor, as someone who's a strong and has been able to help lead airmen, I look at her um, quite a bit. But then you, I, I will tell you, it's the fundamentals, right? I got to go all the way back to my, my folks and my parents. We talk about that small community um, within Canaan and how we took care of each other and how, um, you know, everybody watched out for one another and, and we formed relationships that are life lasting. So I'll go all the way back to those roots when I talk about mentors and and how I was shaped as a leader, it was really my upbringing from my parents. So I'm grateful for both of them. Wonderful. Um, we're talking with Colonel Brian Lapine. He's the vice commander of the 158th Fighter Wing of the Vermont Air National Guard. You talked about uh, Colonel Finnegan, and there are you know, a number of pilots, and they are all in you know, the top of the top in terms of professionalism and, and a great bunch of uh, folks as well you're a little bit more on the other side of it though is that correct colonel the the 158th maintenance operation uh squadron and is that keeping keeping the planes the jets flying yeah that's uh that's exactly what it is it's the logistics behind it and you know that we have great pilots you've you've mentioned it actually we've we have uh, nationally recognized pilots, and we have the best of the best um, when it comes to that. So real critical that they have uh, an aircraft available when they need to train or fly or do their missions. So, you know, for 
for several years, that's where I was involved in just making sure the, you know, with the F-16, uh, I made the transition out of uh, maintenance uh, back into the mission support group when we got the F-35. But my, most of my time was, um, you know, I was involved in the conversion of the F-35 to ensure that we had the, the personnel in place, the, the facilities were in place, and we had everything we needed to receive that aircraft. But most of the time was the F-16. But yeah, it was it was an honor and a privilege. I'll tell you, one of it is one of the best jobs I've ever had is to be able to uh, get out there and talk to airmen and walk the flight line um, when we're launching even just a training mission and watch the pilots and watch the whole process, you know, uh, come around to uh, when they actually uh, take off and, and then return home. So it, it's great. It's a great uh, organization to be a part of, and um, I'm pretty proud of that. And I'm guessing that the uh, obviously the technology – Years ago, my my dad, when I was little, he flew a Piper Cub, a friend of his owned, and it was pretty basic, I think. Uh, but an F-35 is just the technology and stuff must be remarkable, the training that you, your um, crews have to go through to, to maintain something like that must be horrendous. Yeah, they, um, you know, some of them are, uh, you know, some of the more old schools, right? It's like uh, having a 1960s Ford compared to a, a new Ford now, right? With the things where the mechanically you would go into that aircraft and the older aircraft and there'd be a lot more to it now. Now, as you just said, there's a lot more technological things that they need to do with them. And, and the, the aircraft really tells itself, uh, tells you where to go troubleshoot, what to look at. So there's a lot of... Um, just understanding what the aircraft's telling you instead of uh, the old stuff, but yeah, it's uh, it's great training. Uh, we're lucky to have sent uh, a lot of folks, about 40 folks, um, when we were going through the conversion process to out to uh, active duty Air Force, really to get their training well before we got our aircraft. So when the aircraft came here, uh, we had a, a good baseline and a solid foundation of how we were going to maintain that aircraft and what we needed. And I will always say that that was pivotal. Uh, the leaders who had the vision of that, that was pivotal in our ability to come out of conversion on time and really, you know, come out and be one of the best um, flying organizations with the F-35 when it comes to having the resources ready for the pilots to be able to take them, and that's the aircraft. Yeah. Uh, can't be an easy job, but certainly obviously very important. Recently in Burlington, we, of course, we were talking with uh, Mayor Moreau Weinberger. There was a city council vote in Burlington mm. that extended your lease for another 25 years, which essentially puts you out, you know, almost 50 years. And it really was tied to so many benefits that the Guard provides to the area economically. Could, can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, um, we we're first of all we're very thankful for all the support we got for the city council members as well as our community partners throughout that process. Um, you know, it it was it was great for us to know that we have uh, friends out there and folks that really want us and support us uh, and appreciate uh, the work that the men and women in which I serve each and every day that they do for not only the local communities but the state and then our nation but we'll talk about those benefits a little bit first and foremost right the uh the main benefit is the uh fire services that we provide to the to the airport right we are the only fire support that the air, our local airport has and we know how important that airport is to our economy 
um, and what they bring in each and every day and allow for our economic uh, uh, prosperity in, within the state. So, you know, that's about a $3 million annual operating cost bill uh, that we have. And, and uh, that's that's the greatest part of that lease uh, that we have. But then, you know, locally within the uh, within the economy stuff, we, we have a great impact, right? We feed our airmen off the economy. We house our airmen off the economy. We fix our vehicle fleets off the economy, and anything we do with our expenditures, uh, you know, we we purchase off that local economy. So um, us just being here, being a presence uh, for the state and knowing and securing that for the next 50 years, uh, we've guaranteed that airmen will always be there to support the state and to help the economy and, and the state of Vermont as we move forward. So pretty proud of that and pretty thankful again that we were were able to uh, gain support to uh, renew our lease and get an extension. Yeah, and you mentioned the uh, fire and rescue support, which goes out to 10 area communities, as I understand it. And uh, in South Burlington, I read they that you respond to maybe 40% of the South Burlington calls, which seems quite remarkable. Yeah, thanks for that reminder as well. You know, we do have those 10 uh, mutual aid agreements uh, throughout our communities with 10 different communities, like I said. Uh, 69% actually of our emergency responses are, are off base. Um, you know, so that's, uh, we're proud of that, very proud of that as well. Um, and that's for anything, structural fires or just, you know, any emergency responses that need to be had, uh, we're there. And the greatest thing is we're 24-7. We're there all the time. Um, and we have uh, we have great access to get to our communities to be able to aid them. So very very proud of that as well. And I believe that I heard that if you get a emergency call that your unit is out of the station in one minute. I don't even I I can't get out of my house in the morning to come to WDEV without an hour of prep. I don't know if I'd be a good firefighter for the card. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, nor, nor would I be able to. So uh, we're 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 uh, joined like that, uh, Brad. So let's leave it to the professionals. Yeah, but uh, they do have a, a short response time that they got to get out uh, the door. Uh, mainly, you know, that's tied to anything with on the airport, right? So any uh, in-flight emergencies or anything that come down, uh, we got to be uh, able to to be there and have access uh, to ensure the, the safety of anyone involved in that incident. So, yeah, they're pretty fast out the door. I love watching them go. Yeah. And what about um, environmental and green initiatives from from the lease? Was, is that part of part of what you're funding and working on in the area? Yeah. So that's, a, that's another great, you know, benefit of, of being able to extend this lease. Um, I, I'm not sure if you're aware, but the – Government will not invest or usually does not invest um, if you don't have at least 25 years uh, remaining on the lease. So we were in, within that window. So the the extension of that lease allows the government to um, invest um, because they know our community and our state is invested in our continued success. So we had about $51 million of uh, projects that were um on the on the books where we had planned them they projected them and were ready to go of those there are seven million in green initiatives uh, that are really ready to go and we we're just hoping we needed this lease to go through um and then now we'll go after and uh, get those um, 
those resources to be able to keep going. And, and some of them are, you know, our photovoltaic fields. So right now we're about uh, 30% of our, our energy comes from our photovoltaic fields. So, you know, we want to be able to expand that as we continue to work towards our green initiatives. And then, you know, we talked about our fire department. We, you know, we're, one of the projects is to put a full-up um, battery bank within that um, fire department. So no matter what happens, we know we can respond, and we got full power within that fire department. That's critical for the airport, as well as we just talked about our communities. And then another one in that $7 million is really just expanding other <clears throat> photovoltaic areas on base as well as our geothermal uh, footprint on the base. So uh, that that was tied again. And then there's 51 million, we would say, that are in other programs and um, just environmental um, projects that we want to, we're continuing to seek. And I'll be talking with uh, Master Sergeant uh, Courtney Weiser um, in the next segment. But what do you see as opportunities on, on your side, on, on the on the air side, I'm sure she'll, she'll discuss this as well, but you know, there's, there's seems to be a lot of opportunity for people for employment. Yeah, we, we have a lot of opportunities and it, it really is in any career field in which you seek, right? We have medical um, opportunities. We have, you know, the trades, which is a big one within us right now uh, that we're seeking to find uh, folks to come join us. Um, as well as we talked about the maintenance, um, logistics, you name it. If it's a career field out there, we can probably fill it. Um, and that is, you know, that's what we provide. And, you know, I can speak from experiences. I had a, a family member that graduated four years, uh, their degree uh, at a Champlain College and, and had a hard time finding a job in, 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 communi- in, in um, communications. Joined the Guard, got their security clearance. And has now uh, opened up a lot of doors, I would say, to have that military background uh, and as well as the, the security clearances those things go. So it's providing opportunities to our our uh, constituents uh, each and every day. So we're proud of that, and we want more. You know, it's one of the things that we're fighting, right, is our recruiting. Uh, we continue to do all right, but we would like to do a lot better when it comes to recruiting. Um, our retention rates are great. At the VTANG, we're very proud of that. But uh, we think, and we actually know, we don't think, we know we have a lot to offer uh, for anybody that is looking for uh, a new trade, to do something different. Uh, we will provide that. So very excited about having folks come and see us. We have about two minutes right now, Colonel. Is there something that you're specifically proud of in with the air guard and, and the things that you get to do each day. Now, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm proud to serve with the, the women and the men that I serve with every day, but you know, I, I will always say what I'm most proud of, there's two things I'm most proud about the, the Vermont air national guard. We are a community. We serve our communities and we treat each other with dignity and respect each and every day, like community members dub. I'll bring it back all the way to my roots in Canaan, right? That is what I'm so proud of, of this organization. We care for each other when we need help, um, and we're always there to take care of each other. And then I'm proud we're a learning organization, right? We know we have a lot to do. We talked about green initiatives. We talked about all those things. We know we still have more to do, and we'll always take an opportunity to reflect at where we are. Um, and as this whole lease process, actually, we look back at the last 
couple decades and realize we're doing actually pretty well. We have a lot more to do, uh, but as a learning organization, we continue to grow and we'll never be satisfied with where we are as, a, in, as an organization. Always want to be better. That's the two things I think I'm most proud of. Well, well said. And uh, from the outside, you certainly are one of the high, most highly respected units in the country. And we appreciate your service and the service of all your colleagues. We've been talking with Colonel Brian Lapine, Vice Commander of the 158th Fighter Wing, Vermont Air National Guard. Really appreciate you being my guest this morning, Brian, and look forward to having you back. Yeah, and I appreciate you, Brad. Thanks for all you do. All right. Thank you. This is Brad Furl, and it's Vermont Viewpoint, WDEV in historic Waterbury, Vermont. We'll be back right after this. Good morning and welcome back. This is Brad Furlan, your host, WDEV, Vermont Viewpoint. Uh, one more shout out to my son who turned 30 today. I remember when he was born and we were getting wheeled to the, the exit of the hospital and I looked around and I was astounded that they would actually let us take a child home without any experience and, uh, 30 years later, he's doing okay, so things things can work out. My next guest I'm really excited about talking with, uh, Courtney Weisert, is Master Sergeant of the uh, the Vermont Guard and uh, in recruiting, and I want to welcome you to the show, Master Sergeant. Good morning, Brad. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks for being here. Uh, we just had... A nice talk with Colonel Lapine about the the Air Force side of things, and uh, you are the one of the people responsible for bringing people into the Guard. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes, of course, sir. So currently, I'm a recruiting supervisor. Um, I have 13 production recruiters that work um, in Central Vermont, Fitton County area, and Norwich University. So one of our goals is to find people that are not only interested in serving, but also eligible to serve. And then we take them through the process of enlistment and, you know, get them into our formations. And what is, if, if you make a commitment to the Guard, I'm sure we'll get into this more, but what what is an initial commitment in terms of if you're a 17-year-old, is it you're obviously still in high school if you're starting at that point? What, what's the time commitment? So every military contract, regardless of what branch you join, it's always going to be eight years. You can split up that eight years in different ways. So the most common enlistment option is what we call a six by two, which is six years where you're actively serving, and then two years in what we call the inactive ready reserve. And when you're in the inactive ready reserve, the way that you get called up to serve again is if there's, you know, a conflict where your skill set is needed. And if you're a 17-year-old enlisting, is this sort of part-time at that point and then you would come more into full-time? Yeah, so I can use my own experience as an example. Um, I joined when I was 17. I was a senior at Missisquoi Valley Union High School. And um, as long as I was in high school, you're not deployable because you're not fully trained. So after I graduated my senior year of high school, I went to basic training and advanced individual training. 
and then I became fully qualified. And since I joined the Guard, you know, your commitment is part-time. So you serve one week in a month and then two weeks in the summer. So I did that for, you know, I signed a six-year contract so that I could get some of the benefits like the GI Bill and tuition assistance. Um, once I completed that six years, I then decided to re-enlist in the Vermont Guard, and I never went into the inactive ready reserve. So up in uh, Missisquoi Valley, Franklin County, uh, you're looking at career choices. Who, How were you influenced, and what was the decision-making process to get to um, joining the Guard? Well, um, I knew I wanted to go to college, but I wasn't completely clear on how I was going to pay for it. My dad, thankfully, was actually a National Guard recruiter. So, you know, every day he'd be like, hey, this is something that you can do to help pay for school. And it wasn't until I got my first bill from West Virginia University, um, and it was for $36,000 for my first year of college. So I kind of panicked a little bit because that was a lot of money, you know, for a 17-year-old kid that I was working part-time at an ice cream stand in the summers. Um, so I decided to give it a shot and, um, I'm glad that I did because I walked away with my bachelor's degree in marketing and I don't have any student loans. That is remarkable. Yeah. $36,000 sticker shock will certainly motivate anyone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I and, would... You know, my, my dad and my brother were both in the guard, um, by the time I was a senior in high school, my brother had deployed twice to Iraq. And, you know, I was a part of the generation that watched the World Trade Centers fall. So I did feel that sense of patriotism, too. You know, I didn't make the choice solely to, to pay for school. Yeah. It was definitely a calling that I had. And so you you get to um, your hands-on, right? You're, you're talking to uh, students around the state, and you said you had 13 uh, production recruiters. So as a team, you're bringing people into the Guard. What are the what are the things that you're seeing with, um, say, kids? I don't know if we call them kids, but young adults. What what are they seeing as the appeal, same as you or, or different? Um, I think there are some differences. You know, I think that, again, my generation – um, there was a lot more patriotism, uh, I think, just because of what we had experienced and what we had seen firsthand. A lot of the youth that we talk to now, they don't remember when the Twin Towers fell. So it is slightly different. They're not as, um, I guess they don't feel the same way that we do about some of the wars that we have fought. So it is a little bit different. Um, I think for a lot of them, the draw, they want to do something bigger than themselves, because while they may not have the same sense of patriotism from patriotism from that specific event, I do think that a lot of them want to give back to their communities and be a part of something bigger than themselves. So I would say that that's definitely a draw that we notice and a commonality in a lot of the people that we talk to. Another reason is they know somebody or they have somebody in their family that has served and they want to carry on that tradition. So I would say that's probably one of the, you know, one of the other main reasons why they join. And then, you know, the, the benefits, healthcare is expensive. Now retirement is something that people think about at a younger age now, because they realize that with the economy, they need to plan for it. 
So I would say all of those things are commonalities in the youth that we talk to. So the I've had guests on this show over the last year, and we talk about, for lack of better word, uh, lost boys, and 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 it applies to men and women, but who are in high school, they are maybe not academically. Um, feeling feeling great about life uh socially maybe not feeling great about life and the schools are having this uh sort of conundrum of keeping them in the school or if they're disruptive getting them out of the school can you take are are you part of the remedy for this can can do you take somebody and if they have a willingness to sort of change their life is is the guard a good way for them um, I think it can be an option. The hard part is that for anybody to join, they have to have at least a GED or a high school diploma. So if they haven't made it to yet, that yet, there's not a whole lot we can do to help. We do have ways to, you know, we can refer them to Job Corps, who we have a really good connection with. Um, and, you know, we can kind of help guide and push them to get that accomplished but we don't have any programs in place currently to help them get their GED or high school diploma. And then, um, you know, for those, I know a lot of students like to take a gap year now because they don't want to go to college for something that they're not sure they're interested in. So, you know, they get their high school diploma and then now what? So they take their gap year. And for those individuals, we definitely can help them um, because there is a lot of different career exploration when you join the National Guard, you know, when you go through training, you go to your advanced individual training, you're going to learn a lot about yourself and your skill set. So I think for those individuals, we can definitely be a benefit. And do you guide um, those who are interested on their career path? Can, can I say, well, I want, you know, I want to be a journalist for the Guard. And then you you do like an aptitude test and you find out that I can't don't know what a noun or a verb really is, so maybe that's not yes. my career. <laughs> <laughs> yes, so we do. Um, you're you're absolutely absolutely right. We do give everybody the aptitude test, and based on that score, you know, it comes out with a list of options that you can pick from as far as jobs go. So if you you know have your heart set on wanting to do something like you said, journalism, we'll go with that one. But you don't score high enough. We do have a program called the 09 Mike option. And what that is, is you take the initial ASVAB. If you don't score where you need to score, you can actually go to basic training early. And it's, it's a preparatory course that helps you score better on the test so that later on in your career, you have the score to be able to change your MOS, which is your military occupation specialty. So, you know, if, at first, you only qualify for infantry, and then you go down to this course, and now you can qualify for journalism. Um, so that we do offer that for our soldiers. We're talking with Master Sergeant Courtney Weiser. Uh, she's a recruiter for the Guard. So I want to go a little bit in. If, if somebody does enlist in, in, in any particular um like journalism or whatever it is, and maybe you can help us with some of the some of the career choices that people would be seeing. Um, what's the next step for them? What can they expect? 
Yeah, so if you don't mind, Brad, I'm actually going to back up a little bit and go to when somebody decides that they want to join, um, because I think there's some myths out there about the process for that. Uh, people think that, you know, they're going to go see a recruiter and they're going to enlist within that week. It usually takes at least three months for somebody to get through the entire process in order to enlist because they have to go through medical. They have to take the test. Um, it's not like it used to be where you can just show up and, and join. So I wanted to get that out of the way real quick. Yeah, um, that's so important. Now, Thanks. Yeah. So now we're at the point, you know, somebody is enlisted. Um, they start going one week in a month to what's called recruit sustainment drill. And that's in Colchester, Vermont at Camp Johnson. Uh, while they're at recruit sustainment drill, they learn everything that they need to know about basic training without actually being at basic training yet. So they go to that depending on when they ship. You know, they could be there for two months. They could be there for six months. So they drill, and then they're going to go to basic training where, you know, they're they're going to go through all of that, and then they're going to go to their advanced training. Well, let's go with journalism. Um, I believe that is – let me look in my book here. Um, I think that is about an 11-week school for journalism. So they would go through that, and then they would come back to Vermont and start drilling with their unit. Our public affairs unit, they drill in Colchester at Camp Johnson as well. So basically, they would go one week in a month and perform their job. And then for the two weeks in the summer, same thing. And typically, our public affairs office, you know, they will they'll go around to the training that other units are doing to take photos. Um, they will put out press releases, handle things with the media, stuff like that. And when I was speaking with uh, Colonel Lapine, he really talked about you're, you're, you're an organization that is uh, a, like I'm a family, for lack of a better word, but you, you have so many components. What are, what are the skill sets? That, can you just sort of list down things that would – pique our listeners' interest of things that people can can get into. Yeah, for sure. You know, I think everybody, when they think about the Army in particular, they think infantry, right? Um, they think boots on ground, first in, that kind of a thing. And the reality is most of our jobs, 80% of our jobs are actually support jobs that have nothing to do with that part of the Army. So um, if I were to read off all the jobs we have, we'd be here for a long time. So, you know, we have roughly 90 jobs in the Vermont Guard. They range from everything from plumber to combat engineer to electrician, aircraft electrician, helicopter pilots, um, vehicle mechanics, so like a diesel mechanic, counterintelligence, military police radiology, anything in medical, anything logistics. That's a pretty well-rounded list, I think. Yeah, it's amazing. So from the Guard, then, they can go into mainstream workforce with all of this training and skill set and, and probably get jobs easier, I'm guessing. For sure. And one of the things that um, actually worked to our advantage is there was a bill passed that would have the state of Vermont recognize the credentials that our soldiers get from their training. So one of the examples would be 88 Mike, which is a truck driver. Our truck drivers in the guard, they get their CDL. It's a, a memorandum from their commander that gets submitted and they have their CDL. 
So that right there, that's an easy one. Um, for our 68 whiskeys, which are healthcare specialists, they actually get their EMTB certification. So they can walk right out of training to a civilian employer with their EMT certificate. It's amazing uh, and, and high-quality training for sure. Now, what about, I mean, obviously you spoke about uh, college um, getting paid for. Is the college experience after you're done the Guard, or can it be during the time you're part of the Guard? So that's one of the benefits to joining the Guard versus active duty. Um, in the Guard, you have the opportunity, because you're only drilling one week in a month and two weeks in the summer, you get to do you know, your civilian job or go to school in between those drills. So for myself, that's exactly what I did. I joined the Guard. I went to school and was in the Guard at the same time. So I didn't have to wait to get my degree. Wow, fantastic. Uh, my brother, who uh, graduated from Burlington High School, went right into the Navy. And I know that the, the uh, benefits of going to college from his service were enormous, going to BU and getting a degree and then getting a master's degree. Uh, and without means otherwise, that never would have happened. So certainly an, an amazing benefit that the Guard um, provides. Uh, I had Major General uh, Greg Knight on, Adjutant General, and, and he was talking about really the importance of recruiting right now. And what are the – what it We've talked about opportunities. Are, are you in the schools? Are, are students able to take your test, or is that something that needs a little more work, or where are you at on that? So, honestly, it really depends um, on the different school district. Some of our schools are fantastic. We're allowed in to talk to the students. Um, some of our schools only allow us in once a year. And they set the date, and if we miss that date, we don't get access to any of their students. Um, so it really just depends where in the state. I know that all of my recruiters are working hard with trying to either get into their schools or they already have a relationship, and they're doing great things in their schools. Um, I have one recruiter who is a certified yoga instructor, and she has gone to multiple high schools throughout the state instructing yoga, and that's kind of her way in. And then I have the recruiters that are coaches. Um, I'm a coach. I coach hockey and soccer. One of my other recruiters, he coaches soccer at MMU. So, you know, we're all community members, which if the high school doesn't allow us in, typically there's we have other connections. Yeah, you raise an, an important um point about uh guard you know you you all do your your professional part of the the national guard and the air guard but you are coaches and volunteers and uh, organization uh being on boards and all of that it it really is a big part of the community that you touch absolutely and you know like i was saying every every single one of my recruiters has their um, they do some form of community service. I have some that work at the uh, Josh Pilata House, which is for veterans, right up the street. And then I have some that volunteer at their local food shelf. So, you know, the one thing that everyone in the Guard has in common, we all decided to join the Guard because we wanted to give back to our community. And 
that doesn't change, you know, whether in or out of the uniform. So, so it's giving, um, it's not, nobody is forced to do anything in life. You're not forced to go to college. You're not forced to go to trade schools. You're not forced to go into the guard. But what you're looking for is to present opportunities. Is that right? Absolutely. And, you know, you bring up a good point about, um, you know, we do offer incentives for people to go to college, but we also offer certificate programs for people that want to go to a trade school. So, you know, it's not just people that are college bound that could benefit from this. It's anybody that wants to go into the workforce as well. And uh, Colonel Lapine mentioned you're around 4,000 strong right now. Is that right? Did I do the math right? Um, I think we're a little bit less than that, um, but I'm not sure what the Air Guard's numbers are currently. Um, we're sitting at around 1,900 on the Army side. Okay. So there's a lot of opportunity uh, for for Vermonters to to take a look at you and how are they going to find you if they're just, you know, their their parents are listening right now, they're in school? What's the best way to, to find you? So the two best ways, one, you can go to uh, vermontguard.com. Uh, so if you just search in Google, you know, Vermont Army National Guard, Vermont Air Guard, you're going to find our website there. So that's one way, and they will get you in contact with a recruiter. The other way is um, we have a storefront location in St. Albans right on Main Street. We also have one in Essex right at the Five Corners, and we have one down in Rutland right across from the high school. So we've got three storefronts. There's usually somebody in them. Um, feel free to just stop by. Uh, that sounds amazing. I didn't I didn't realize you were in three communities uh, in sort of a retail capacity. Um, what are... We've got maybe two minutes left. Are there things that you are um, most proud of in in your job and and with your with your role as a recruiter? So I would say there's two things. The first thing that I'm most proud of is what we give back to our communities. So you know the flooding that just happened in Montpelier. It was our soldiers that were out there helping people get out of their houses, bring them fresh water, bring them food, and and honestly help them when they needed it. Same thing throughout the COVID response. Um, the Guard, that's, that's what we're here for, to support our community. So I'm very proud of that portion of our mission. And then as far as in recruiting, um, this has been an amazing opportunity for me because I have seen so many young people come through our doors that didn't know what they were going to do next. And some that did know, and they had a plan. Um, but every single one of them has, you know, got, gone and exceeded expectations. And that part for me has been very rewarding to see that growth and know that I was able to help these people achieve their goals. It's opportunity in turning one's life around in, in many instances, I'm sure. We've been talking with Master Sergeant Courtney Weiser. I certainly appreciate um, your time today and everything that you do and your service to Vermont and the country. We appreciate that. Thank you, sir. This is Brad Furlan. It's Vermont Viewpoint, WDEV in historic Waterbury, Vermont. We'll see you next Monday.